Hey guys, welcome back to Merlison, a bi-weekly podcast about BBC's Merlin, where we discuss the show, the episodes, the ships, the fandom and the characters. Uh, I'm Miss Snowfox. I'm Amartastic. Before we begin today's episode, guys, we just have a little PSA, as you will, to kind of go through very, very briefly. Um, the episode that you're about to listen to is the episode uh, for the character Gwen. We've done one for Merlin and for Arthur, and this is going to be Gwen's one. And um, uh, unfortunately, we've uh, we've uh, had to record this little kind of bit to go at the beginning because we've received a comment that uh, we we felt we needed to address because I'm sure you agree, Momo. We're, we're, we're just not the kind of people that sweep negativity under the rug. We just kind of want to get it out in the open and talk about it so we can have a nice, you know, uh, pleasant engagement with everyone that listens to this. We received a comment uh, from a Gwen fan and an Arthur and Gwen shipper. Um, you know, I'm not going to be naming names, guys, because that's just a shitty thing to do. Uh, but it was basically akin to the idea that uh, this person felt that the way that myself and Momo conduct the podcast and the way that we discuss the show felt that we were uh, not only not friendly to Gwen as a character, but also to the Arthur and Gwen ship in general. So we just wanted to kind of clear up, or me personally, because I feel like from the comments that I read, it was mostly directed at the comments that I'd made um, because perhaps I talk about it a little bit more uh, than Momo does. So I just felt like I needed to kind of explain things a little bit more. First of all, you know, we have, you know, made a disclaimer at the very beginning of uh, the episode, the very first one that we did, that both myself and Momo are Mirtha shippers. That is our OTP for this show. And Merlin and Arthur are respectively our favourite characters. So I think it's, you know, kind of understandable to everyone that when we do these episodes even though we do have a script you know a lot of the time it's coming from the heart a lot of the time it's just things that we maybe come up with on the fly and our personalities and our preferences are obviously going to show and we never pretended that we weren't biased towards these characters that being said I would like to think that it's very obvious by now how critical we are of everything that we talk about, um, whether it be the ships or the characters or, you know, in every single episode review that we do, we have a dislike and a like section uh, to the point where I've actually quietly to myself wondered, listening back to the episodes myself as I do, just to see what we've been saying. Um, you know, will people think we even like this show because of how much <laughs> we end up criticizing? So yeah. including the Mirtha ship. I mean, guys, you know, Momo said some, you know, quite, you know, what could be construed as very cruel things about the Mirtha ship to do it, their power dynamic and all the rest of it. So, yeah, that's our job here. That's what we do, because I think it's so much fun to criticize something you love, especially when it's been so many years since it's been aired and kind of the freshness has worn off a bit because that's part of enjoying something and it's healthy to be critical of the things you love. So I would have thought it would be obvious that we're not biased in the sense that we think the things we like are the best and are flawless because they're most definitely not. And I've said some, you know, quite kind of uh, uh, questionable things about Arthur, even though I love him and about Merlin, even though, you know, he is he is my favorite. So just to bring this back to Gwen, I wanted to really make it clear. I do not dislike Gwen as a character at all. And I'm genuinely sorry if the things that I've said have come across like that. But I just thought I'd set the record straight. I think she's a delightful character. And the things that I will be saying in the episode that you're about to listen to are being said because I dislike the way that she's been written. And that is genuinely it. I think in season one, she is a wonderful character and I genuinely enjoy her. And I hope I've given enough reasons, actual legitimate reasons from my personal experience, why I don't enjoy her character as much in the seasons going forward. And I'm sure I've said equally, you know, kind of 
bad things about Arthur and his portrayal as the seasons go forward and the things I didn't like about him. And that is that. Also, I would like to point out that, you know, I have said many times in this podcast that my OTP or one of them in the shows is Lawrence Long Gwen. And the ship that got me into this fandom and into reading fic was Merlin and Gwen. So I would have hoped it would be obvious that I wouldn't OTP for a character that I hate because that just seems a little bit counterproductive as for Arthur and Gwen you know I'm not going to make any qualms about the fact that I genuinely just don't ship them I don't have to ship them and you know it's my right to not and Momo I think just kind of feels indifferent about the ship in general like I don't think she has any strong feelings towards it you know again I'm really sorry if I've ever said anything that would kind of be genuinely kind of hurtful to an Arwen shipper but you know we will be having many episodes coming up in the future that we've got planned that will have nothing to do with Merlin or Arthur or that ship. And that, you know, as many of you know, because we've already posted on our Tumblr, we will be having an Arthur and Gwen episode and we are having an Arthur and Gwen fan come onto the episode with us so that they can discuss their experiences. Because the last thing we want is to have two non-Arthur and Gwen shippers sit here discussing what it's like for us to not ship it, because that, again, seems completely pointless. We genuinely want everyone to enjoy this podcast. Now, does that mean that most of the time it will be kind of geared towards things we enjoy? Well, yeah, because, you know, we're not paid to do this, guys, and this is genuinely something we're doing for a hobby. And when we do eventually talk about Arthur and Gwen, which is coming up very soon, neither of us are going to be disrespectful. Neither of us are going to say horrible things. Will, you know, I might, I mean, I can't speak for Momo, but will I be myself, be critical about the ship? Yeah, I will. Not in a spiteful way, not in a horrible way, just things I observe the same way as I was being critical about Mirtha and any other ship that we're going to come across. And, you know, when we come to the section of things that we do like, of course, there are genuinely things that I think are cool and I will mention them. And I'm sure that the Arwen shipper we have on with us will be more than happy to take over from the, you know, her personal love for the ship. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. And, you know, if guys, you do genuinely disagree with the points that we either make in this episode about Gwen or about any other character we maybe don't feel was handled that well, then just get in touch because that's what the comment section is there for. And, you know, I would... um. I would just like to kind of clear that up now, because obviously when you're in the midst of doing an episode about something, you know, sometimes you may say things that either get misconstrued or you just kind of don't realize what you're saying. And the PSA is we don't need to like the same things. It's OK that we don't like the same things. But I hope that you find enough things you do like that will keep you listening. And that's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> I just want to add two things to this. First of all, we are going to make every effort to broadcast the schedule of upcoming episodes more clearly on our website. We're going to put up the schedule for like the next three to six months. And if you see an episode that you want to participate in where you feel like you have strong feelings about this character, especially if they're, you know, strong, good feelings and you want to participate in the episode, please get in touch with us and we will set up a date on which we can record an episode together. And the other thing is the person who commented in this way about how they perceived we feel about Gwen and the Arwen ship, they, at least that's what I read from it, implied that we were asking an Arwen shipper to come on the podcast with us so we could attack this Arwen shipper and which really is not our intention like as Roxanne said if we wanted to talk shit 
about a pairing or a character, we wouldn't go to the lengths of inviting someone who loves it to come talk to us. Because, you know, if we want just to throw the ball back and forth so we can be mean about it, yeah, <laughs> we wouldn't need another person to help exactly. us out with this. Like, the reason we do invite people to come join us on this podcast is specifically because we know we can't really be objective about it or we can't really be as supportive about it as we would like to be because we don't personally ship it for whatever reason. So just to put this in perspective, when when we ask people to come and join us for this podcast on a topic that neither Rox or I are all that knowledgeable about, we do it because we want to give the ship or the character or the topic a proper representation on this podcast and not just talk out of our arses, basically. That is, but, and I mean, also because I did want to address uh, something that this person specifically wrote about, and I think it was in to do with a comment that I made on the Arthur episode that I got a little bit irritated um, when uh, I think we were discussing uh, class and I mentioned how it's um it's Arthur's job as a as a king to um to marry for stability now i would like to point out that i did in fact mention in that comment as well that if merlin for whatever reason would have been a woman in this show and they were in love i would have said the same thing because you know um i think this person said something about oh i would rather arthur be in a loveless marriage than marry someone that's proven themselves to be queen i really just want to make one thing very clear it just so happens that, you know, I really, really love history and I really, really love historical fiction and historical shows. And the reason why I bring these things up is just because that's something that means a lot to me. Now, as we will discuss in the Gwen episode that you're about to listen to, I are, you know, I talk about this again. Momo doesn't really care about his, like history in terms of this show and that's fine and we don't see eye to eye on that but I don't care because she doesn't need to care about the things I care about so I bring it up a lot because that's just something that I personally care about and you don't have to now when it comes to the point I made I think that you know from the point of view of someone that does like history a lot I think it's perfectly valid for me to say that but that doesn't mean that it's attacking Gwen as a character like I said it could have been anybody that I ship him with and I would have said the same thing unless they were of a standing that they could bring some kind of political stability to the kingdom or anything else because with the deepest respect guys as a character because Gwen has not grown up in a royal household or even a noble household she has no training in terms of diplomacy in terms of you know let's call it international relations of running a kingdom as wonderful as of a character as she is and how moral and good she is she doesn't have any of those skills because that's not what she was trained to do so that was my point that I was making and it had nothing to do with um, their relationship as a matter of fact I would say out of all the seasons where I actually find I enjoy them on screen the most it is in season five um, so it's honestly nothing to do with them it's just to do with the history buff in me that finds it irritating I mean I am speaking directly to this commenter like I really hope that you weren't hurt by our comments and I mean you clearly were otherwise you wouldn't have gone online to talk about it but I really really hope that we've kind of made it clear that if we sometimes make 
a joke. It's just done in like in banter, in just a bit of a kind of friendly way. I'm really sorry if anything was taken out of context. And hopefully from now on, we can just kind of move forward and not have to give that disclaimer every time that we perhaps are critical of something that you like. And with that, we're going to change the topic entirely and go to news. First of all, we have the Merlin Memory Month. It will be held again this year in March. There will be prompts for every day of the month, and you don't have to sign up. Just join in whatever or however you like. Then this is a reminder for you that the WIP week is starting on January the 28th. You can enter with WIPs from any fandom you like, which means you are eligible to enter with your Merlin fanfic whips. So go forth and produce more fanfic. And finally, an author slash Gwen community on LifeJournal intends to host a rewatch specifically for our Gwen shippers. They're currently hosting a poll as to when the rewatch should begin. So if this is something that interests you, go and check out their LifeJournal and let them know when it's good for you. Wonderful. Thank you, next week's Momo, for recording these. We try and, you know, lighten the mood because we have a lot of depressing topics on Merlison. So <laughs> we do. Um, Excuse me, we just, we spent, we spent three hours talking about the biggest chip in this fandom. That was mostly happy. Mostly, yeah. I tried not to delve into the, the fact that, you know, the love of this person's life who his entire you know, life goal was to keep him safe, ends up dying in his arms because he couldn't, you know, stop destiny. And then he lives a thousand years on this earth alone. I didn't really want to go there, but I just did. So thanks. Rob. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, a good segue, though, into something that is not depressing is the fact that we have talkbacks. Yeah, so many <laughs> talkbacks. Well, I say talkbacks. We're going to be talking. No one's actually recorded themselves, but you guys should totally do that because it just makes everything really, really fun. But comment all the same. We we enjoy comments in whatever form they take. We're not discriminatory. Um. So yeah, do you want to go ahead and carry on with this first one? Yeah, I wanna. The first thing I want to react to is someone who reblocked our uh, Murther Part One post on Tumblr and uh, did a little commentary in the text, which is totally valid commentary but which also you will now realize is something we pick up on and we will talk about <laughs> so the user with the url real life sucks ass and honestly congratulations on that url um <laughs> commented in their tags and they uh like there are two things i want to pick up on the first is that uh they said something about how they never realized how English-speaking people pronounce Merther. Which is really interesting because to me it has never occurred to actually pronounce it differently, even though I'm not a native English speaker, I'm natively German. And um, so still, for me, it was always clear that they would be Merther because they're called Merlin and Arthur in English. But someone watching a dubbed version, for example, or more... Um, you know, in tune with the with the legends and the the local translation of the legends might of course call in pronounce it differently and, and call the characters something different. So for example in German, Merlin and Arthur are called Merlin and Arthur. So naturally a German speaking person might pronounce the ship name Mertur rather than 
Merther. And I actually, I do know Germans who wow. prefer saying Mertua <laughs> rather than Merther. So, you know, uh, and I think uh, Real Life Sucks Ass has a, a French sounding uh, ship name, like pronounce it more French, uh, which I'm not trying to to say because, you know, uh, I'm not going to embarrass myself or you or anyone, honestly. But I, I find that really interesting that, like, depending on where you're from, Merther isn't the same as Merther, just because we all write it the same way, but we don't say it the same way. So that's one thing. And the other thing is um, just something to do with uh, how they said that they personally prefer canon fix rather than modern AU fix. Um which is obviously perfectly fine, and I fully respect everyone's preference. I think you, Rox, prefer prefer canon fix as well. Yeah, to... I prefer... Um, I think, like, with me, it kind of lies... Which is weird, because I've read more modern AU fix, but I think that's because um, it's just kind of so happened that I have... like. I feel like the fandom, as pro probably what you're about to say, favors modern AU more. So if you go into any kind of rec post or any famous fix, are most likely going to be modern AU. So you kind of have to know where to look or just go to authors that kind of regularly write canon AU or canon, like, you know, kind of as is in the show fix to kind of really know what you're looking for and there are a few that i kind of know of and we've mentioned them before like ones written by um astolat are often like you know kind of canon inspired and then like the ones um what was the other author that we liked separus separus yeah that yeah that that does that canon inspired that is like um like based on actual history like with like the social behaviors and stuff which we obviously really really enjoy and i know that astolat does that really well as well so um i that like that's what i look for but rarely so do i get it so i even though i in an ideal world would read more canon i end up reading more modern because it's just kind of what's available like more more readily but um yeah so i am definitely with you on that that i do prefer um i'm talking to the commenter by the way not you <laughs> um i am with you on that 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 I prefer Canon AU because it just feeds the angst that I like in my ships a lot more than fluffy modern incarnation. Or like, but not even that fluffy, but modern life isn't as angsty as being able to die of the plague, you know? <laughs> it just can't be. So there you go. That's my two cents. But I know, Momo, that you love, you love your modern, so. Yeah. So what I was actually going to say is uh, that my experience as a writer and someone who interacts with other Merthyr or Merlin fans in general is that the fans at large prefer canon. Really? Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna... This is like, as I said, this is absolutely personal experience, mostly for me as someone who talks to other people who are... who will often tell me they prefer canon, uh, canon fix, canon AUs, or reincarnation author returns kind of storylines but also for me as a writer i write almost exclusively modern aus and i have published one canon au fic last year or like for merlin overall i published one canon au 
that I published in September 2017, it is now January 2018, has received the most feedback of all the fics I've posted. And it's got more wow. kudos <laughs> and bookmarks than any of my other fics. And it's in, in hits, it's second only to a BBC Sherlock fic that I published several years ago. And it's already catching up fast. So this is my experience as a writer that my one canon fic out of 24 published works in the Merlin fandom, in the uh, not all of them Merthyr, but I have 24 published works. One of them is a canon AU and it has received the most feedback, the most hits, the most kudos, the most, most bookmarks I have ever received on any other work in just four months of wow. being posted. <laughs> So this and talking to other people and generally observing that Canon AUs appear to receive more feedback leads me to the conclusion that this fandom at large prefers Canon fix, which I absolutely can respect because if you have a flawed Canon, you need fanfic to fix it. <laughs> so yeah, that's just something that popped into my head when you, dear Tumblr user, commented in your tags about preferring canon AUs my first thought was well you and basically everybody else in this fandom <laughs> I'm really genuinely surprised by that only because I actually think I saw and again I won't remember where but I remember it very clearly because I thought it was such an interesting uh point that this fandom considering the time period in which the canon is set has more like not only is the majority of its fic actually set in modern day con compared to when it's set in canon, but it's got more modern AUs than any other show, like any other fandom ever. Like statistically, that's apparently true. So that just really surprises me that that's the case, that like people seem to react so much better, like statistically, like to canon AU, even though with this, like, the all the famous fix I can think of are all ones that have nothing to do with canon. That's so weird, isn't it? I mean, that depends on what you define as famous fix and what fix you are thinking of. It would be really interesting to conduct a study and found out find out if this preference has changed over the years. Like if maybe um while the show was still running, there were probably more canon AUs. Then after the show ended, there were probably a plethora of modern AUs, all inspired by reincarnation or author returns stuff and just plain other uh, modern AUs. And then I wonder what it would be like now if there's like, if people still write more modern AUs than canon AUs, but the preference of the fandom has shifted to canon AUs. Like that would be really interesting to study, even though I have no idea how to go about it, except with like extensive surveys <laughs> but that would be super interesting to find out if anybody has any idea and like has been in fandom um like the entire time and has experience with this and has talked to m many other people and like wants to add their two cents please get in on this because like fandom history is something i find deeply interesting and i really want to i really want to know how like fandom as a whole has maybe changed over the years where the preferences lie in the majority of fandom now than how they looked uh, like 
five years ago. Where I might be getting this impression from, I'm thinking, is like I've said before, the majority of the fic I kind of consumed was mostly through the kink meme. So, and I'm pretty sure that the majority of the stuff I read from there was all based in modern because I mean, maybe like certain things, but the big ones that I can remember coming out of it, like, or, or just even like, like, like smaller fics, I genuinely only really remember them being like modern versions of things. And yeah, it's just really. Yeah, it's just such a I just like I am genuinely shocked, like gobsmacked by by the fact that like you've just told me that that like people seem to prefer canon because nothing that I've ever like kind of seen in my experience as a fit creator back in the day has ever reflected that one <laughs> not one thing. In fact, to the point that when I got back into reading fic in this fandom after the finale finished and maybe this is where everybody else kind of jumped on the same bandwagon i remember like going through the um merlin x arthur like lj and kind of going through the fic and and just like everyone kind of being like modern after modern after modern and me just going i'm sick of this and like looking at like 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 looking for the canon tag because i wanted some good angsty like stuff that was based in the show but maybe i just have a terrible memory and a selective memory but yeah i mean please tell us your your experiences because maybe maybe we should just do a survey maybe we should try and think of a way to get the statistics from this you're the statistician out the two of us so i'm sure <laughs> sure you'd really enjoy that and i can try and like you know kind of come up with some ideas but let us know if that's something that you're at all interested in guys maybe we're just giant nerds but i'm sure there are other people that kind of care (laughs) rocks of course we are giant nerds we are hosting a fandom podcast (laughs) because we have so much to talk about yeah okay fair enough uh let's move on (laughs) there was one more from nicole from uh latin america and you were like Nicole you were worried that you know we'd be upset that you're sending us such long comments and that we might find them boring or anything no (laughs) honestly the longer your comment the happier we are yes absolutely (laughs) (laughs) we are honestly excited to hear from our listeners uh and the more in-depth the better having said that you're not obligated to leave us a long in-depth comment if that's not what you want to do. So, um, bringing this back to being to translations like uh, of of this of the show, because you talked again about um, how a lot of the subtext of Merther uh, got lost in translation, literally, from English to Spanish, because uh, your country at the time was still deeply homophobic in some ways. And you said that um, a lot of the dialogue was changed so it would seem less homoerotic than than it was in English. And I find that really interesting because it kind of reminds me of how they changed the relationship on Sailor Moon for the uh, US American audience and turned a lesbian couple into cousins instead just because they couldn't deal with lesbians in an anime on TV. So I find that really interesting how much of the like of the story of the relationship between characters is changed on purpose when translating a TV show into another language. But 
their relationship is never meant to have subtext. That's what I find a bit strange. <laughs> well, but clearly enough people read into it so that they were like, no, we have to change it because it's too homoerotic. That's hilarious. I wonder what Johnny Caps and Julian Murphy would have to say about that, that literally their show is so gay that they thought they did it on purpose. <laughs> There you go. Wow. That's that that's what I found really interesting. And then we have a ton of comments from Woodland Goddess and Brox and I are absolutely thrilled that you are commenting on basically every episode. Uh like literally it's like I've told this to Mimo. I like refresh like the the Melissa website like every day to look for a new comment. <laughs> like it's just so rewarding. So keep sending them. So we actually had to like, we are going to get back to you on all your comments, but we had to split them between this episode and the next one, because otherwise this entire episode would just be talkbacks. And uh, as interesting as that is for us and maybe some listeners, we also do want to get around to talking about Gwen eventually. So we're going to start with uh, two comments from you. The first one is from our second episode, on uh, which we did, which was on The Dragon's Call. And you made a good point about Mary Collins's morals and the morals of her son, i.e. that we don't actually know what they were. Like, we don't know why her son did magic and why he was put uh, to death. So you, uh, Woodland Goddess, make a good point about Mary Collins's morals and the morals of her son because we don't actually know why her son was using magic like for all we know it could have been something evil and i mean given that mary collins knows a bunch of evil magic <laughs> like how to kill people and then turn herself into them you know it stands to reason to believe that maybe he was actually using evil magic and uh still you know where Uther is cast as the villain in this episode because he's killing a magic user. So that's really interesting. And it's good that you picked up on it because we obviously didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she also wrote something really nice about the symmetry. Well, I'll say nice. <laughs> the symmetry between Merlin, the first time he saves Arthur, like he ends up holding Arthur in his arms because he like, you know, pulls him back and they end up like falling over on the floor. And it mirrors it in the symmetry of Arthur then dying in Merlin's arms when he couldn't save him and it's uh yeah because I because I never wanted to be happy ever again no no <laughs> sorry we gotta That's keep fun. up our our reputation of bringing down the mood <laughs> um and then her uh the the second comment that we're going to react to from her is uh on the coin a lot episode um or the coin a lot recap episode I should say and uh one of the things that we picked up on was just, I mean, she, she sounded like she really enjoyed the sound of coin a lot, which we're really, really happy about because obviously we, uh, and uh, she is coming to the convention. So that's wonderful. Um, and she said that she was concerned about uh, maybe the, uh, maybe a kind of the supposed uh, pressure of the kind of interaction or the social interaction or kind of speaking up. And we just wanted to both say that that's not an obligation in the slightest. It's really chilled out just because I prattle on. It doesn't mean you have to, <laughs> like, at all. And I'm sure Momo would back me up on that. Yeah, and I will say the same for me, just because I talk 
a lot and try to you know get other people to talk with me about things there is absolutely no obligation like at the last convention uh in 2016 there were plenty of people who were just happy to follow the discussion silently they still enjoyed it but they didn't feel pressured into talking and it didn't participate and nobody was angry with them for not participating um like you can pick and choose what you want to participate in at the convention it's absolutely low pressure for social interactions you do what you want to do and if what you want to do is just sit in the back and watch the whole thing quietly and laugh at our terrible innuendo jokes then that's what you're gonna do <laughs> i'll be honest you'll be you'll be lucky if you can get a word in because this time it's me and momo doing the convention and last year it was momo and trachion who a uh, uh, trachion is wonderful but she has some kind of um social awareness of when it's acceptable to stop talking <laughs> unlike and, me <laughs> and i don't have that no <laughs> so, neither do i um so yeah, thank you so much for all your feedback, guys, especially Woodland Goddess, who's been commenting on like every episode, <laughs> which is so cool. And um, yeah, we can't wait to hear your feedback for the stuff we've already kind of re- recorded and is waiting to come out and uh, and also on uh, on this episode. So yeah, just keep them coming in because it's uh, it's really nice and it gives us something to talk about that's, you know, not just about the theme this week. It's like other stuff we can bring in from previous episodes. So yeah. So um, let's talk about the woman of the hour, shall we, um, Gwen? Yes, please. Who we really, really like. Um, just not always maybe what they choose to do with her <laughs> because, you know, she gets a bit of a, a hard time from the lovely, lovely writers who don't really know what to do with her most of the time. Ah, uh, yeah, but you know what can you do? So uh, let's uh, let's go into some kind of facts, shall we? What do you want to say about lovely Gwen? Well, we all know her full name is Gwynevere, although she doesn't have a last name. Then again, no one except Arthur and like his dad have a last name, so I suppose that works. She is the daughter of Tom the Blacksmith, which is why I find that she's usually called like Gwen Smith in modern AU's a lot of the times. I mean, I've certainly called her that because it just makes sense. She has one older brother whose name is Elian, who was never mentioned before season three, by the way. And we don't know what happened to her mother, except that she died. We don't know when she died. We just know that she died. Uh, But she was a member of Leon's household, which is why Gwen, Elian, and Leon more or less grew up together. She is currently, well, currently, (laughs) at the beginning of the show, she is the maid of Morgana. And she is probably somewhere around Arthur's age, or supposed to be around Arthur's age. Like, Angel was 28 when Merlin first aired. She was the oldest cast member, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so she was around 27 when they filmed, which is five years old. Like, she's five years older than Bradley and Katie, and six years older than Colin. But I think she was supposed to be Arthur's age. Or at least not much younger or much older, like maybe a year difference, like with Merlin. Who knows? I think that, I mean, I I genuinely think they're all meant to be kind of the same age. <laughs> like, I don't think they're meant to, like, you know, uh, I don't know. What do I know? I think that they're way too old for these roles anyway, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. that's so irrelevant. Yeah. 
she marries Arthur in season four. She is crowned the Queen of Camelot, the, like literally the same day or whatever. And she is the only survivor of the royal family at the end of season five. Happy days. Happy days. She befriends Merlin right away in the show, which is probably the best thing she ever did. Let's be real. <laughs> because who wouldn't want to have Merlin in his li- in their life? That, oh, I thought you meant like, as in, this is the best thing she ever did, like in a shady kind of way, like all her other decisions were terrible. No, no, no. I, I just mean like, befriending Merlin is probably everyone's best decision ever because he's such a sweetheart in theory <laughs> alright in the legends which is really interesting Guinevere in the legends uh, well first of all there are like a million different versions of her name there's Guinevere or the Welsh version Gwenhuivar and yes I wrote down how to pronounce this and I probably still got it wrong there's also the Breton version again I'm probably mispronouncing everything today which is Gwenivar. She first appears in Geoffrey of Monmouth's uh, Historia Regum Britanniae in the early 12th century. And she's also found in medieval Welsh prose as Arthur's wife. And then the French got invested in the Arthurian legends and introduced their original character Lancelot. And since then she's had like tragic love affairs with him. And they managed to write that so believably that Fanon basically became canon. Which, honestly, is what all writers dream of. So kudos to the French in this case. And I'm just really grateful for that because, like, Lancelot and Guinevere is just, like, one of my favorite, like, love stories of all time. Like, I just think there's something so wonderful about, like, the arranged marriage, but, like, she befriends the, like, best friend of her husband who, like, she kind of you know throughout the years they become closer and closer and then one day they just can't hold back anymore and run away together and it's just amazing so yeah (laughs) also in the mists of avalon they have a threesome so that's true that's you know that's that's how i would ship them in the legends honestly it's an ot3 there you go all right so her welsh name means uh, white Enchantress or White Fae or White Ghost. It's not entirely clear what the translation is. And like the the Gwen part in her name means fair or white, which is probably referring to her being virtuous. Also, fun fact at the side, Jennifer is the Cornish version of Guinevere. So if you're, wow. called, if you're called Jennifer, you're actually Guinevere. That's amazing. Yeah, congratulations. But honestly, there are like as many variations on her name, like so many variations on her name, and I'm too lazy to list them all, but you can definitely look them up on Wikipedia and everywhere else on Google. So just do yourself a favor and spend an afternoon Googling versions of Guinevere's name. You'll never get bored. And then the legends also vary kind of on what her relationship with Arthur actually is, or what her heritage is like there are versions where Arthur is married to three different Guinevere's Monmouth only mentions the one Guinevere and she's descended from a Roman noble family but she's but like as I said there are so many different like origin stories for Guinevere like at least as many as there are options for her name what they do usually 
like agree on is that she is childless except for like in one version she isn't because she becomes Mordred's consort and bears him two sons so I feel like that is sort of like punishing women for choosing the wrong dude sort of plot line I don't want to read too much into it but then again this is the patriarchy so you know but maybe also rewarding her for for choosing the the right dude, no? Because if she was childless, couldn't have kids, and then chooses somebody else, and then has kids with them. If she wanted kids, you know, maybe maybe that's like a reward. I I don't know. I just <laughs> I mean that depends on from whose point of view you read the story. From Gwen's point of view, that might well be true. But from like you're supposed to be rooting for Arthur, and Arthur's enemy is Mordred, so. True. (laughs) (laughs) So like I said, it highly depends on your point of view of the things. But now I kind of really want a a fic based on our canon or BBC's Merlin where Gwen and Mordred have an affair after he comes back to Camelot because he's like this this naive young (laughs) 18-year-old and she just teaches him the way of the bedchamber. (laughs) It's literally like everything I love. (laughs) Well, we'll get to the point where we talk about who she gets shipped with, then I'll tell you how many Gwen Mordred fix there are. (laughs) Yeah, like I'm saying like stop because I love the concept, but I don't want her anywhere near anyone but lots. (laughs) So I'm just like, don't do this. (laughs) So yeah, again, the way she's characterized varies a lot between different versions of the legends. Um, Apparently, she can be a weak and opportunistic traitor in one legend and then a flawed but noble and virtuous woman in another. And it's just like, it really depends on who's writing it and what they want to do with her and how much they either like or dislike her or want to push their own like favorite character like that's just that's just basic fanfic writing 101 (laughs) i will also point out i mean again i can only speak for the mists of avalon because it's the only piece of literature i've written that wasn't like classical literature which women aren't really represented in it that well so like you can kind of forget it but um she's kind of like i don't want to use the word fanatic but she's a bit of a religious like zealot in that and i think that's quite consistent because i think in most of the legends she's the like like she's a christian and arthur is still kind of like straddling the line between like paganism and christianity because it's like that early that like obviously we're writing about and i remember in the mist of avalon i actually really disliked her as a character because she had such a narrow-minded view of like religion which obviously she would have but like Arthur was kind of not like unsure, but like Morgane, his sister was like obviously pagan because she was like a priestess and stuff. And he had this Christian wife and he was kind of like straddling the line with like all these different kind of practices. And she would like, like weave him like and like embroider him these like flags and banners of like symbols of Christ, like for him to wear into battle. When it, and like he wasn't like that bothered and stuff. And she would like put pressure on him to like be more Christian. And I just be like, calm down. <laughs> like, please don't. <laughs> like, it's really bad. Like, and, and I'm Christian. So that's saying something like just like, just calm down. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, that, but I think that's quite consistent with her character, like to 
be i think she's christian in nearly every like incarnation or most of them from what i can from what i remember but yeah that's that's like another trait of hers except probably bbc's merlin (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) which brings us back to gwen on the show so um rocks what do you reckon are like gwen's abilities like what she what can she do what what strength does she have and like in the sense of capable of doing well, she. Uh, well, we know that she's um, a seamstress. I mean, well, I I say we would infer because we're never actually shown her sewing. But it. I mean, we would assume she would have to know how to do this. <laughs> like, I mean, it is said. It is said in uh, Lancelot that she's the finest seamstress in all of Camelot. Oh, okay, yeah. Because okay, she makes okay. his she makes his outfit, his of pumpkin course, outfit. Yeah. yeah, it's like once that. Yeah, okay, it's once that we see it. Um, which is why I wish we'd had perhaps like a lot just like a throwaway line for like all of her costume changes like throughout the seasons that like she made them herself like that would have been quite nice like i wish that we didn't have to just kind of come up with that on our own um and obviously uh we see mostly in season one really just kind of mostly in season one her uh knowledge about weapons and um armor and things like that because of course her father is a blacksmith so of course she would know about it and we see it in episode two she teaches Merlin how to put armor on he doesn't know what he's doing but she does and um you know she says in um episode uh, 10 i can uh um i can mend mend armor and sharpen swords so uh and we've seen obviously that she's a relative you know she's relatively handy like you know with her fighting skills like uh, in the moment of truth and then later on in in the show as well so those are her kind of like practical abilities and i assume she's a pretty good cleaner <laughs> uh, she uh she's uh she washes plates as well this is this is something that she says to arthur <laughs> um yeah <laughs> i'm not really sure what else to add <laughs> yeah no i mean that's 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 what i would have said as well so let's talk about her personality so, I mean, obviously she's friendly and caring and helpful and kind and forgiving and all of these things, um, which are just shown over and over again and how she, like, comes to talk to Merlin in the very first episode when he's put in the stocks and she just comes to him and tells him that she thought he was really brave and that she's happy that someone stood up to Arthur. So, you know, she... <clears throat> and then, like she just she shows him this kindness of talking to him and everybody else is just pelting him with rotten uh, produce so yeah she's clearly um uh yeah she's clearly impressed by kind of good deeds of others and that's definitely something like one of the i'd say fewer consistencies that we have like that's kind of like she like her moral compass like comes from within like we've kind of talked about like the morality of like other characters and um, not Morgana yet, but obviously the other ones, you know, kind of comes from the people around them and like what they feel about the people that they care about. And that's kind of where Merlin and Arthur's uh, motivation to do good things comes from, or kind of, you know, maybe not as much Arthur as Merlin, but definitely Merlin and then Arthur to an extent, even though he does have this kind of uh uh, this need to kind of uh, look after his people but he definitely struggles with the responsibility whereas Gwen is straight up kind of um, follows her gut and her kind of heart in terms of morality and uh, and she does good things and is impressed by people doing good things and that's kind of what she cares about and she has no problems with kind of 
cutting not like not i mean because we never see her cut anybody off apart from maybe morgana like you know she is willing to kind of give her a chance up until she sees that she will not change and then you know she says i thought that we were friends but you know she will fight her if she has to because she can see she's you know done bad things and that's kind of you know uh i feel like that wouldn't necessarily happen of the other two and we see that because arthur finds it really difficult to go up against morgana i would say you know he 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 seems incredibly sad like much more saddened by you know like they have like similar interactions right like oh i thought we were friends and i would say he seems much more like heartbroken about that than gwen was and they arguably knew her for a very similar period of time so um yeah i would say that gwen is much more kind of comfortable with if she had to like cutting people off like because of what she believes in like she's got her own set of morals which is very interesting indeed yeah and still she's like she's also well i mean it depends on how you want to characterize that but like she is not willing to break the law exactly like she's still afraid of breaking the law like she might do it if she absolutely has to, but she's not easily doing it. Like I'm thinking of um, the poison chalice, which we are going to discuss next week or in two weeks um, where she, where guys tells her, well, the, the poison was made with magic. The antidote might also have to be made with magic. And she's like, well, it's forbidden. So she very clearly is still hesitant about breaking the law. Even though she recognizes that, the law is not always right. Yeah. You know, but I think that especially as like in the poison chalice, um, I'm thinking it's especially because she has already seen what happens when people break the law, because in the, in the episode before that, in the Mark of Nimue, she was accused of using magic, even though she hadn't done it. And then imagine how bad it would be if she actually had done it you know so i think that especially in the first season but also probably still in the second you know she doesn't want to break the law because she has already seen what the consequences would be so even if she might find things unjust and wishes they were different and will do what she can to right this wrong she has a limit of what she's willing to do because she's afraid for herself or her family of the consequences. Which is understandable, honestly. But, like, I feel... It's interesting, because Gwen, as a character, has so little to do with anything magical in terms of, like, her character arc. Like, she's the only one out of the four that isn't really touched by magic in terms of... Like, she doesn't ever have an opinion on it. Like, not once. Like, she never really holds an opinion over magic at all like it just which which i find interesting because i i can see that you've got written down here obviously she has more reason to hate magic than most because of everything that it's done to her family but she just doesn't really seem to care which is i guess a bit of a missed opportunity for the writers because they could have really kind of run with that she has a scene with arthur um when his uh when his father is dying that was deleted uh and i wish i could remember the specifics of it but it's something like he's telling her about this idea to to, to go to this sorcerer and she and i think her only reaction to it is oh i'm glad it's your decision not mine because i don't know what i would do 
and that and that's basically all she has to say about that and she doesn't really like say anything about magic only to kind of say yeah like you said oh it's it's forbidden but we don't get the sense that she's against it she just kind of doesn't really have anything to say about it which is quite interesting really yeah and i think it's just such a missed opportunity because i mean you said i i wrote this down in the script and i i did uh that she has much more reason to hate magic than most characters on this show is definitely more than Arthur does like it made her father sick it got her father killed <laughs> uh, yeah it's what I mean Uther had him like gave the gave the command to kill Tom on sight but it's only because Tom got involved with someone doing magic and and you know so it made her father sick then it got her father killed in her eyes Magic destroyed her best friend, who is Morgana. Uh, like, it corrupted her in, into turning evil. It made her into a cheater, the whole episode with uh, the zombie Lancelot, which I hate. Um, and then she got banished from Camelot. And it brainwashed her into committing murder and trying to have Arthur murdered as well. So by the end of season five, <laughs> she has every reason to hate magic. More than probably Uther ever did. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, she is immediately accepting of Merlin having magic because she knows Merlin and she trusts him. And it's just, I find it a little bit sad that we don't have more of this characterization that um, Gwen... Like, I mean, we do kind of have this characterization that Gwen rather weighs what a person does with the power they are given versus what the power is in theory capable of like she knows Merlin is a good person Merlin will use whatever power he has for good rather than Merlin has this power it's probably going to corrupt him yeah but still I wish there had been more of that development because like you said we don't really see Gwen having an opinion on magic prior to this little bit at the very end we only really get um and this isn't even much to do with magic but i feel like the only kind of canon based evidence for what you just said about her being more interested about what's on the inside rather than kind of powers is in the dark tower or whatever it's called, when she's sitting down for a meal with Morgana. And obviously at that point, you know, she hates Morgana by this point for obvious reasons. And, you know, she knows that she's corrupt and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And when Morgana says, oh, um, I, when I was, you know, locked in a dark hole, I would have done anything to be shown some kindness as this. And Gwen is like, what are you talking about? And Morgana's like, oh, you didn't know that I was like, you know, locked in a hole and not fed and like, like, I didn't see the light for like, you know, years and Gwen just kind of shakes her head and she's got like these tears in her eyes as if like she didn't even have a clue and feels a bit more sympathy for Morgana as a result, you know? So I feel like there is definitely a bit of evidence of that, that, you know, maybe she, she has a bit more, um, yeah, a bit more of a, I want to say kind of, uh, she's a bit fairer maybe than Arthur or, Uther or even Merlin like in the way that she approaches situations you know like uh and actually that's a really heartbreaking scene like that's really difficult for me to watch like 
just yeah between them uh so yeah i definitely agree with you on that that she definitely tries to see inside but you know i mean let's just get to it like we just get so little of her so how are we meant to know (laughs) and like like, we get we get less the more important she is in like you know as a as a character in camelot like we have a lot of like relatively a lot of her in the first two seasons or well at least in the first season and then she becomes like after she marries Arthur, she's basically in the back seat because she's like, well, the op like <laughs> the reason for her being in this plot has been fulfilled. She has married Arthur, she has become queen. That's it. Well, I done. mean, she did have some pretty badass things to do in the first two episodes because she was actually running Camelot. Yeah. And I mean, she then later was sort of an <clears throat> important uh, character because she was brainwashed into trying to kill Arthur. And I'm just like, that's another plot I really hate. But uh, yeah, so but still, like Gwen as a character was so underused, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I'll be quite honest with you, and I think a lot of people are probably in the same boat as me if they are in a fandom when they're very young. And it's really hard for me to talk about Gwen as a character because I used to really dislike her. Like, whenever she was on screen, she just really irritated me. Like, from about season... I want to say probably, like, season three onwards, but I would would even say, like, late season two. Like, I don't... And I think it's, but it's mostly the way they wrote her because there are moments like in season one, I really love her. And I think it's the, it's the interactions that they gave her with Arthur that really get on my nerves because she doesn't behave like herself. Like she just doesn't. And it's hard for me to explain what I mean by that. But I think the way I'm kind of uh, seeing it is like, and again, it's not even her fault as a character. It's more the way that she's written because they needed to, give her this romantic storyline with Arthur, you know, who, like, you know, even though she's she's shown to be, you know, like have this moral compass and she'll kind of say what she means, but she'll say it like by accident. And it and you can see it's coming from like an innocent place, you know, and she's never really been one to preach like she's never really in. The thing is, no one really likes that kind of person. Right. No one likes someone that thinks they know better that like wants to kind of like tell you what to do kind of thing. She only had, I think one scene like that in early season one. And it was in the, uh, a remedy to cure all ills where Gaius leaves and he's like, Oh, I haven't got a choice. And she's like, um, in life, you always have a choice. Sometimes it's easier to think that you don't, you know, but then when he says, well, my choice is to leave. And then, and then all she has to say is, well, then I'll miss you. You know, she's kind of said, but I find that in season two and then three and then four, (laughs) she just, she has these scenes where they felt like they needed to give her the the character trait of she needs to make Arthur into a better person, which is when I started to just completely lose interest in her because the only re- reason why she would be in a scene would be to do exactly that. And you would have these extended sequences where she's like schooling Arthur. And I'm thinking of the once and future queen in particular, where she's, she just rips into him with like, all this stuff. And I'm like, first of all, it irritated me because it just it those kinds of sequences just take me out of the reality of the show completely because I'm just like, like, 
the fact that he allows her to speak to him like this is completely ridiculous because like he would have killed Merlin for like less and forgive me but we are watching a medieval show and he's a guy so he's at the time that this is set more his equal than Gwen is unfortunately whether that's right or wrong and I'm just very surprised that Gwen even knowing her class and her place like next to Arthur in that situation would speak to him like that and I think that's what it makes her seem really naive in that sense and it really gets on my nerves because I'm like there are ways that you can like say things that don't make you look like you're really kind of impulsive if that makes sense and kind of like don't think before you speak because it just really kind of I don't like I don't know if I'm getting it out in the right way but do you kind of see what I mean I think I do yes yeah it just makes it like it whereas it would kind of happen now and then and it was usually like when she was flustered about something like you know she'd say like oh I like much more ordinary men like you but like she would say something that sounded normal but like it might be taken the wrong way whereas in season two she just outright like is really sarcastic and like says oh well you shouldn't have to be taught to think about anyone else but yourself you're not a child like um, it's like I get where they were kind of going with it but it just makes her seem really unlikable because every time she's in a scene with Arthur all she does is complain about his behavior and then that's meant to make him a better person like it's also meant to make her fall like make us believe that she's falling in love with him yeah and it's really irritating and what also then make and then it makes me see her as this entitled character who makes who who thinks that just because she can say things it means that she should and it's like it because even even Merlin doesn't say everything that's on his mind because he's with the king and like and I actually saw a um a post once that that actually said something along the lines of oh you know Merlin sometimes even gets it too close for comfort for my liking because he sometimes forgets that it's the fucking prince he's talking to and that he doesn't have the right to speak to him the way he does sometimes because unfortunately he is his inferior in the way that we understand it like from Arthur's point of view because he doesn't know that he's this big sorcerer and I feel like this is something that they keep doing with like these servant characters it's like it's far more interesting for me to watch a show where people are constricted by by the things in their everyday lives like you can't just say what you want to this guy because of the class difference so you need to make it you you need to get your point across in a different way and that makes it more interesting you can't just shout in his face telling him exactly what you think because that would never have happened and it just doesn't it doesn't look or sound right like a servant girl schooling a prince on his behavior what like it really irritates me and then when she's not schooling him she's giving him these big speeches about how he's such a good person now and I'm just like what (laughs) it just really gets on my nerves not to mention that by season two she pretty much only had scenes with him and very few other people yeah also by season two they had started to like give her different outfits to you know the fact that the that the producers thought it was necessary to like pimp up Gwen to make it more likely for us to understand that Arthur would be attracted to her just because now she had deeper cleavage to look at and like makeup and stuff or like not even makeup but like different hair and like flowers in her hair and stuff yeah so you know 
that they thought that was necessary. That really bothers me, honestly. I asked Angel about this, actually. I asked her about this when I when I first met her and I said why why did they do this <laughs> and she didn't really have a good answer for me to be honest with you she was just like oh I think it was kind of like where she's always been been this inner beauty like throughout the seasons they you know they kind of brought it onto the outside <laughs> uh what a diplomatic answer I was like look clearly it's nothing to do with you but I hoped you'd have a better answer for me because like yeah it's just so unnecessary and completely impractical and makes no sense like the thing is is whenever I bring up any kind of historical accuracy people are always like oh but there's a dragon in it and I'm like you can have it both ways like just because you add fantastical elements into something doesn't mean you don't have to give it some kind of social structure like look at game of thrones they have dragons but they still have some semblance of knowledge that they don't live in a modern society like why is it so difficult for us to have both like it really irritates me and that's like you know and i think unfortunately especially with the role of women in shows like this i think it's really important because it's so easy to go down the route that they basically did which is to make these women like well i wouldn't say gwen is a strong character just because of the way they wrote her but trying to make these characters like strong and like kind of speak their mind and stuff like that which is all fine but the but the problem is is that it makes me roll my eyes and go oh well isn't this a feminist adaptation like being forced as opposed to so uh for example there is uh, a book called The Other Boleyn Girl, uh, which was made into a bad movie. And um, it uh, has this uh, scene between Anne Boleyn and her mother, uh, which wasn't in the book, but I actually do. <laughs> I actually do appreciate it for the purpose of, uh, for the point I'm making. And throughout the whole movie thus far, um, Anne's been really impulsive and like really flirtatious with King Henry and basically just like going about things completely the wrong way to try and like get him to marry her so she can like you know kind of go up in class and stuff like that and um she in the end fucks up a big time uh i can't remember what she does but she is exiled to france to go and live in the french court by uh by her father she's heartbroken and she's like acting like a child and then her mother kind of sits her down she's like when you go to france use this as an opportunity look at the ladies of the french court look at the queen of france learn from her watch how they get what they want not by stamping their little feet but by allowing the men to believe that they are in charge and that is the art of being a woman and in those days that is what it was and there were strong women that you know got what they wanted and did what they wanted but they didn't do it by behaving like the 2017 counterparts that we might imagine and i just think it's very lazy writing like to do things that way because it just makes me kind of go well that would never happen even though i know there's dragons but you've got to give me something to go on here like to make me believe it's real and um i don't know like i don't know if that bothers anybody else but i think because i love historical like things so much it just I, i think it bothers me in particular it probably doesn't bother anybody else but i don't know does it I don't know what you think about the whole history thing of it, but I mean, I honestly don't mind that they're not applying more or less proper medieval social hierarchy to this show because the entire thing is historically inaccurate, starting with Morgana's clothes. <clears throat> like, you don't like. 
forget forget the dragon and the magic. Look at the the clothes and the props they have. Um, so. But is, is that they're trying to have it both ways they're trying to have a social hierarchy by saying well these knights are noblemen that's why lancelot can't become a knight and they're trying to have their cake and eat it but then they're also saying that it's completely normal for a crown prince of camelot to sneak into a servant's house unobserved and sleep in the same house and borderline in the same room as a single servant girl that's apparently okay <laughs> like things like that just kind of like you can't have it both ways. You can't have an entire episode that focuses on the difficulties of class and then do something like that. It just doesn't work because <laughs> class is brought up all the time. But apparently it doesn't matter when the plot needs it to. And I think that's just something that just really annoys me. And it makes Gwen out to be a less sympathetic character because you would think she would understand those rules. Like, and she, I don't know. But again, like it's it it it's only once she starts to get this relationship with Arthur because it's like... They were doing relatively well, like in kind of introducing them as characters to each other. And then by season two, they just didn't know what to do with her. So they just made her a love interest and nothing else. Borderline nothing else. I think the only episode she has um, in, uh, that's like anything to do with anything outside of her relationships. And I want to say it's Castle of Firion, like after season one, you know, I just feel like that's really bad. <laughs> Like, and she has a lot of scenes up until then, but just nothing to do with anything else apart from Arthur or Lancelot. Yeah. And that is what bothers me. Like, I I don't, like, me personally, I don't care about the the inaccuracy and in how she should behave towards uh, Arthur or anyone, honestly. What bothers me is that she is mostly just used as love interest who teaches male character how to be a better person. That is that is what bothers me about it. Like, I wouldn't mind if she taught male protagonist how to be a better person, became his love interest, if she also had, like, other things that made up her character. But that is basically all that she was, on top of being, like, made to look even prettier and more attractive, just so we could believably follow the plot line that Arthur falls in love with her because now she has flowers in her hair and her uh, cleavage is deeper. Like, you know, uh, that's just... That's what bothers me about how her character was used after season one. And then in season four, she's given stuff to do, but it's only in aid to show what a good queen she'll be. (laughs) And like... Speaking of season four, like th- because uh, this is this is relevant. Um, season four, the episode with Lancelot, like uh, the shade Lancelot. <sighs> Apart from the like, let's not discuss the entire consent issue here, because we are going to get into that in a couple of years when we are talking about this episode. <laughs> um. But yeah, if you listener weren't aware that there are consent issues in that episode, look it up. There were. Um, okay, leaving all of that out of it, the entire aftermath, like how Gwen is treated in that episode, it pains me to watch. Like I absolutely despise watching this episode, mostly because of how Gwen is treated by Arthur, who. Like Arthur and everyone else 
who apparently are supposed to love her either as a uh, a love interest, a family member, or a dear close friend. So um, she gets accused of betraying Arthur by kissing Lancelot. No one thinks to question why Gwen might have done this. Like, the only thing we have is where Merlin talks to Gaius and is like, well, Lancelot is basically a zombie. And Gaius is, well, this is not going to clear Gwen's name, if you tell Arthur. Because, no, apparently, I mean, obviously it's not, because kissing a zombie is still kissing someone else you're not supposed to kiss. But no one questions why Gwen would have kissed Lancelot. Like... She is engaged to Arthur. They are supposed to marry the very next day. And no one wonders why Gwen chooses to kiss Lancelot now. Like, Merlin doesn't think that maybe that is a little bit strange. You know, he doesn't doesn't try to find out if there was any kind of influence on Gwen that would have made her kiss Lancelot. Like... He doesn't suspect, not even Arthur suspects magic. And like Arthur would probably, should probably the first one to be like, maybe magic was involved. Since oh, it doesn't not- surprise me at all that Arthur doesn't suspect magic. Because of course, like, but yeah, Merlin should, Merlin, have, pro- Merlin should have suspected it. Or maybe Gaius should have suspected it. You know, Elian might have suspected it. No one thinks to question Gwen. Like, it is taken as granted that at least by Merlin and Gaius, that Lancelot is not actually Lancelot. He's like uh, an afterimage of Lancelot, who just looks and sounds like Lancelot, but isn't actually Lancelot. But no one seems to think that there's anything, like, apart from feeling upset and betrayed, no one questions why Gwen might have done this. She is treated terribly. Like, she is Arthur's fiance. You would think that at the very least, she wouldn't be, like, pushed down onto the floor and treated like garbage, even if she kissed someone else. Like, first of all, why make it so public? And second of all, come on, Arthur, you are a better person than that. Like, you were ready to, or he sh- like, the way he is characterized, I would assume that he would have been ready to let Gwen go if she had indicated that she wanted to be with Lancelot rather than with him so you know I just the characterization of Arthur in this episode pains me because I feel like it is out of character and then she is banished from Camelot and uh she like she has to drag a wagon full of her belongings out of Camelot by herself like not even her brother stands at her side like, think about this. Not even your own brother is going to be like, listen, my sister would never do this. And if you banish her, you have to banish me. Like, you have to forget about me as well. Like, no, Elian stays in Camelot. And I mean, we have later an episode where he's like, sort of kind of maybe a little bit upset about it. But I mean, come on. Honestly, that's what you do. And I just... I hate that episode so much because of how Gwen is treated. And it just, it it shows, like in my opinion, it shows that these writers have no understanding of their characters and have no respect 
for Gwen as a character. Oh, they have no respect for Gwen as a character at all. But like, I think though, it's it's really difficult because the problem with Lancelot is that he doesn't exist as a character unless he is there which makes no sense because if they referred to him more often then things like this might be answered for example um from Arthur's point of view he knows that Gwen was slash is slash whatever he thinks in love with Lancelot he knows that Gwen would have gone to live with Lancelot had he not left in the episode where he went to you know go and get her and like save her life um like that was obviously like you know he's very aware of that um he you know saw Gwen's reaction to Lancelot's death and you know his funeral pyre of like all his things where she I mean it's one of the most upset that we've kind of ever seen her and like it was in public as well and you can see he looks like I would say he looks a little uncomfortable like because he doesn't really know what to do and he just kind of like leaves her to grieve for him like on her own you know sort of thing now whether or not he believes that she had or has any feelings for him is is kind of you know that's only been what where we're meant to think a couple of months until Lancelot supposedly comes back from the dead Arthur doesn't suspect that there's anything wrong with him he thinks that it's the same old Lancelot you know and all of a sudden you know Gwen's acting weird but you know I feel like if you were the kind of person that might have already kind of not had suspicions but been worried about someone else maybe loving another person I imagine that if you walked in and saw them kissing like it's it's like she was kissing Merlin you know like that would have been weird but you know there's absolutely no reason why this couldn't have happened in real life even though obviously it was all magic and you know in a way it's like well damn like if this actually happened before your eyes you'd probably lose your fucking shit like you know because it makes sense that's why Morgana chose Lancelot that's why she brought him back from the dead because she knew that he would strike a nerve like that it would look real you know and it's meant to look real um and uh yeah so I just feel like I mean yeah with 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 Merlin it's probably a little bit different because he 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 knows that things aren't always what they seem but I'm not surprised by Arthur's reaction at all and to his credit I mean not his credit but like to his kind of credit as as a character that's written like he you know he asks like you know what happened you know and like she does and and of course you know poor Gwen because she doesn't understand that she's being enchanted she doesn't have an answer for him so from his point of view he's like well you know what the hell were you doing and she's like I don't know so what would you do you know like if you don't have an actual answer what can you do? Like, you know, except just believe that what you saw is real. And she doesn't deny it. She even says, I was drawn to him. Like, she doesn't, she doesn't really, you know, we know what she's talking about. But from Arthur's point of view, he thinks she means I was drawn to him romantically, physically. Like, you know, that makes sense, right? So it's like, you know, I can kind of see from his point of view why he would have banished her. But the others, yeah, definitely should have stood, like, stood up for her in some capacity. I still think that it's out of character for Arthur to have banished her right away. Like, I feel like maybe I'm just, uh, maybe that's just wishful thinking, but I feel like the person Arthur is at this point, because this is had like this is several years into 
like knowing Merlin and having been influenced by Merlin and others into becoming a better person and like thinking more about how he reacts. And like, I will grant you that this was emotional for Arthur as well. And we all know that Arthur doesn't deal well with his emotions because he has no, like, he's not used to dealing with his emotions. But still, I feel like banishing her, like, basically right away is an overreaction, even for an emotional author in this moment. Or, at the very least, banishing her and then not, like, calling her back, like, an episode or two later. Like, because, I mean, at the end of season four... He does take her back. You know, they meet again in Yaldor and she takes care of him while he's wounded and then they basically get back together. But I feel like an emotional author who banishes her because in this moment, like, he's, he's red. He's, he's angry, he's upset, he's heartbroken and he's like, the only thing I can think of because I'm an entitled prick is to send her away because I have that power. But I feel like, give it a week. Let him calm down. Let him think about this. I feel like he would have sent someone to find her to get her back earlier than the end of season four, where he didn't like go and look for her. He was just basically confronted with her without meaning to. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I don't think it's very out of character. Just I'm thinking because I mean, okay, it was two seasons before this, but it's not like it was a lifetime ago in in terms of Arthur's life. Like, you know, all it took for him to literally pull out his sword in kind of attack on his own father was Morgoz's word and then the ghost of his mother's to say that, you know, he was responsible for her death without any kind of defense from him. And, you know, he has the whole journey back to Camelot to really think about it. And I'm assuming Merlin's kind of, you know, advice along the way. And even when he gets there, he goes straight for the throne room and is prepared to kill him, like end his life right there. And it's only through Merlin making him believe that it's all lies that he finally sees sense. And so if you look at it kind of, from a similar point of view, you know, banishing her is probably quite like consistent with like what you can expect, considering that like, you know, he hadn't any time to calm down. He hadn't any opportunity to really think through his actions. And I mean, and to be fair, by by episode 11, he does say, oh, like, what do I do, Merlin? Like he wants her back. But yeah, he probably feels ashamed. But also he still thinks that she betrayed him. And as we know, that's never actually ironed out. They they just overcome it. Like that's just kind of an obstacle they overcome. So as far as they're both aware, she did betray him. Like that's what they think. And so, you know, he has no reason to forgive her if that's what he believes is true, which is what's presented to him, which she has no rebuttal for, which means they think it's true. So it's quite consistent with kind of, like, I'm sure that if he found the truth out, obviously he would be, you know, like if if there was a situation like in The Sins of the Father where Merlin 
found out that it was all lies and confronted Arthur with it while he was shouting at Gwen in the throne room, I have no doubt that things would have ended very differently. He would have seen sense. But there's no evidence to suggest otherwise, unfortunately, because no one found the bracelet and no one knew what was going on. So, And that was Morgana's plan, like that it was meant to look real. So I feel like like it's very kind of like in in the reign of kind of his character to to do that even though it's heartbreaking for Gwen and like I said I think Angel's performance in that scene is really 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 wonderful um and even I have to say that like you know I don't ship Arthur and Gwen in the slightest but the way that like they deliver their lines in this scene makes me really sad and it's the uh and it's the line where um uh she says um all these years I've waited for you and he just said you only had to wait one more day and it's just like actually really gutting (laughs) like it's really gutting and I don't want them to be together at all so that's saying something like the that like that uh, I I don't know I feel like maybe because obviously Arthur's not like I love Arthur but he's not like my baby like I can kind of see like oh no like I definitely agree that like he could have done that and and like and and to his credit he is calm for most of the scene and i think i've seen a post on tumblr about someone calling him abusive because he like grabbed her by her shoulders and i'm like oh like just get out like he literally loses his temper for a second he grabs her and then immediately apologizes and steps completely away and talks to her completely normally like for the rest of the scene and just says like you know i don't want to see you anymore i'm going to banish you and like you know he loses his temper once and like just like i i just feel like it's completely overreaction like to call him like abusive towards her at all that's just ridiculous yeah and now this has turned into another author character analysis even though we're talking about funny how like she's so linked in with all these men (laughs) yeah it's really frustrating though isn't it because this is like you can't the only thing we know about her is that she likes to do good things. She doesn't have anything linking her yeah, to She any doesn't even stuff. have any hobbies. Like, we don't know what she likes to do for fun. I mean, to be fair, we also don't know what Merlin likes to do for fun, except maybe sleep. But, um, like, we don't know anything much about Gwen. So let us go to talk about Gwen and Fanworks and see if uh, that's any better. So, okay, this is again mostly what I have observed in fan works uh, through what I have been reading. And again, this is mostly based on modern AU since naturally if you're writing a canon AU then um, Gwen will have probably the same kind of interests or abilities as she does in canon except maybe you're doing a better job by her and giving her more of a character than she did on the show. (laughs) So, um, common jobs that she usually gets are being a florist, being a baker, being a nurse, or being a teacher, which all kind of have to do with, you know, taking care of people, nurturing them, nursing them, you know, feeding them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I also have seen her as like personal assistant to Arthur or Morgana, which is consistent with like Merlin being cast as a personal assistant as well because of the whole servant uh, relationship stuff. So, but that's like the most common things I've noticed. 
in Fanworks. What about you, Rox? Do you have anything to add that I um, haven't thought of? Not, not really. I mean, again, I think it's just the kind of things you've mentioned. We seem to see pretty similar things for most characters in most modern AEs, like we mentioned earlier. So yeah, I feel like it's 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 pretty consistent with what with what you've said. So yeah, just like a carer, looker after, general good citizen. <laughs> yeah. So then some common tropes and themes in fanfics and I have to apologize this is you know clearly biased by someone who reads almost only Merthyr fanfic and not really like Gwen centric relationships or Gwen centric gen fics so of course this is really one-sided and biased so please if you're a Gwen fan who ships her with well, anyone, honestly, and reads fic about that, <laughs> please come at us and, and add to this. But yeah, what I see in Merthyr fics a lot is uh, she's Arthur's ex, because of course she has to be. Um, sometimes she's even dead. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly. No, I know, it's just like... You have to get her out of the way so Arthur and Merlin can be together. Clearly, the best way to do that is to kill her. <laughs> Um, then again, something my friend Frieza Jerky observed is that, and which uh, Rox and I basically have uh, hashed out now, is that Gwen is often defined by her relationships uh, with men. She'll be Merlin's, she'll be Merlin's friend more often, but if she's Arthur's friend, there's usually some romantic history or one-sided pining involved in some way. But she's most often like she's Merlin's friend. Or she's Arthur's friend. Sometimes she's Morgana's friend or girlfriend. You know, she's usually defined by being someone's, someone else's something. You know, she's not usually just there for her own sake. Yes, I agree. <laughs> oh, apart from... I would say she's kind of... She doesn't... I don't think she's with anyone or kind of doing anything with anyone in, intended. No, but there she's Merlin's friend. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, sorry. I thought you meant like, um, like relationshipy things. Oh, okay. No, fair no. It's just uh, she's Merlin's friend. Okay, fair enough. Fair In, enough. Intended. Like to really have Gwen-centric, uh, fake that really where it might be the other way around that like Merlin's her friend rather than she's Merlin's friend. It would have to be something that is focusing on Gwen. And the relationships she builds for herself, but I don't think know. that's a fault of necessarily the fandom. I think that's just because we don't we don't read those fics, which I imagine is where where, where those tropes are flipped. Absolutely. And then I'm sure that there are like fan works and tropes that treat her badly because she's like an obstacle to the slash pairing or whatever. Or who make her like a cheater or another kind of bad person. And I'm sure that some of it is even like race related and really bad. But I don't read that. Like if you're writing this or if you're portraying her in that way. Then I will not enjoy your story and I will definitely close the tab and not come back to it yeah and i feel that's pretty much consistent for like 
I enjoy Gwen so much more in like fan works than I ever do in canon. Like they just give her so much more interesting things to do, even if she's not the main focus. Like even like I'm thinking of the student prince, like especially like, you know, she's got so much going on. Like, you know, she's got, you know, this like friendship with her roommate and she's got like this whole story arc where she's like doing this um, suicide hotline, you know, like where she kind of does that like during the night and um and then she's got like the whole thing where like she and Morgana like kind of end up making friends and trying to rule the world together, you know, and like all that kind of stuff. And, and, um, yeah, it's just like really weird how like I, well, that's because obviously people in the fandom are usually better writers. <laughs> that's probably why. But yeah, it's just such a shame because yeah, there are a lot of tropes that can be used. And I'm glad I don't, haven't really come across fix like that. Um, but yeah, uh, so what, I mean, you know, seeing as she's so defined by her relationships with others, you know, who is she usually shipped with then? Okay, so, I mean, the ones I could think of were, of course, Lancelot, um, Arthur, naturally, Merlin, Morgana. Like, like, I think those are, like, probably the most popular ships, Arthur, Lancelot, Morgana, and Merlin for Gwen. And um, we'll see in a moment that the AO3 statistics back me up on this. And I also, I mean, I personally also like to ship her with Leon. I think loads of people do. I'd say that's a really popular ship nowadays for sure. Yeah. Because I feel like like a widely a widely accepted headcanon headcanon is that after the end of season five, she married Leon just for more stability in the kingdom because they were already friends before and like she could trust him as a friend and just be like trust him to be a good husband and not steal like try to steal her thunder and everything so that's a that's a widely accepted headcanon I feel like in fandom so I mean I personally love to ship them I've I've written them into stories that I've written so you know Leon I, I totally am a Gwen Leon or however their ship name is called <laughs> yeah I I have to be honest I've never like actively shipped them but I definitely enjoy them a lot more than Arthur and Gwen <laughs> um yeah I just but you know I you know as far as I'm concerned no other men exist but Lancelot so <laughs> which is weird because I ship her with Merlin so much but it's just like that almost like you know compared to the love i have for her with lancelot it's it's like it's more like a crack ship now you know i'm like no they as far as i'm concerned that they actually ended up together (laughs) (laughs) okay so ao3 stats as of the 12th of january 2018 there are 5,677 works tagged with the character tag for Gwen. And the top five ships on AO3 are Gwen Arthur with 2,188 works, Gwen Lancelot with 1,242 works, Gwen Morgana with 931 works, and then we have a massive drop to Gwen Merlin with only 171 works. Boo. That's on that's in fourth place and in fifth place. Okay, I'm sure that whoever's listening is probably not 
guessing it or maybe is guessing it because it is with 138 works the Gwen Merlin author OT3 and then my favorite pairing Gwen Leon is in sixth place with 91 works now I need to know how much Gwen Mordred works there are there are three Gwen Mordred fics okay so you know if you have a craving go and read those and then of course there are a lot of like a couple of um, Gwen slash another lady. There are 11 Gwen slash Uther stories. That doesn't surprise me. That like, it's so few or that, that there are any? No, 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 that there are, because obviously she did have scenes with him and obviously they hate each other, so of course that's fodder. <laughs> like, There are also six Elian slash Gwen stories, so all your incest needs are filled. Why are you talking to me or just to everyone? In general? I, that, this is a general you, not a you. Know, I you, you. I'm not into that. <laughs> like I'm just saying. There are also five guys slash Gwen stories, if anyone's interested. One of the one of the pairings that surprises me is like there's one story that is Alator slash Gwen slash Helios. Like that is a really interesting combination. How do you get this? druid uh truth finder who tortures people sometimes but then stops torturing people because he's seen like druid jesus merlin as his true savior gwen and the slave trader helios into one story gwen helios i get but how does Alator fit into it i just i don't understand maybe you should read it and find out maybe there's a reason <laughs> Maybe I should read it. Maybe I should just won't. <laughs> All right. Let's have some recommendations. We got two again from Nicole, the one who commented um, before. And one of the recs from Nicole is uh, a fic called Trouble of the Magical Kind, written by Tosuka. It's uh, 14,560 words long, teen and up audiences, Merlin slash Arthur, A canon AU, and the summary reads as follows. In the court of King Uther Pendragon, there were two rules concerning relationships and marriages in the royal family. The first one was that it had to happen for love. The second was to never, ever fall in love with a sorcerer or a servant. It was really quite unfortunate that the crown prince of all people had to go and fall for his magical manservant. So that is one. And the other one they recommended is The Sidewalks of New York by an author whose name I cannot pronounce, so I shan't even try. It's a historical Merthyr AU rated explicit, and it is 161,191 words long. So that's a bit of a read. And the summary reads, New York City, 1925. Jazz, flappers, parties, and violence. In the midst of prohibition, crime boss Arthur Pendragon and his gang, the Knights of the Round Table, arrive from London <laughs> to open a speaksy in Chelsea. Fearing they'll lose their hold on Manhattan's west side, the Black Kings sent Merlin Embers to spy on the Knights. The two gangs quickly become rivals, and there is no place for love in war. I'm literally so thirsty for this fic already. <laughs> I can't cope. This is like everything that I love. I need to read this. Thank you for that, wreck. <laughs> All right, then you have two wrecks, I think. I do. 
Um, I've got two video recs again. Um, I would have more, but like we said, Gwen doesn't have much to do, so not many people have done videos about her. And one of the videos that are that that I have to rec is from the Merlin collab group called Two Sides Studios, which did a whole series of character-based videos. That one. I think it's called uh, I'm Coming Home, and uh, that's from Two Sides Studio. So uh, we've uh, we all contributed to that one, and uh, no, but it, no, but it is um, it is honestly like a nice uh, a nice video. And then the second one is um, Guinevere Pendragon uh, soldiering on. Although I don't I didn't actually write the name of this video down. I've just got the link. So, but I think it's I think it's called something like Soldier On or Soldiering On, and it's like uh, instrumental to the best of my uh, memory and it's basically about her journey to becoming queen and um actually focusing on like you know kind of her as a person and everything which is really really great and i wish there were more videos like that but like i said it's kind of difficult because <laughs> there's just not much material to work with um so yeah that was my input for this uh for this theme what uh what are your recs momo i have two gwen centric gen fix that are also available as podfic because, again, this is how I consume fic most of the time. The first one is called Dividing Our Grief, written and read by Jade's Fire. It is Gwen-centric, like I said. It's post-season 5 and, like, several years after the end of season 5. And it deals with how Gwen grieves in private the loss of her friends and family it's uh, 4,686 words long. It's rated general. The summary says, Still, looking into her own eyes, she finds it hard to remember that she is not the girl she was 15 years ago, the lonely girl she felt, weighed down with grief in her heart and a kingdom to rule. The grief remains, the kingdom flourishes, and while she is rarely alone now, she is still lonely. Which is a really lovely pod fig that I listened to just yesterday. Uh, yeah, on Gwen being surrounded by people, having moved on from the loss, but still being lonely and missing the people she has lost nevertheless. Oh. And the second one is called Blood, Sweat and Tears by Tilan, uh, read by Akiko Tree. Again, Gwen-centric. This is set pre-season one. It's really short. It's only 781 words long. It's uh, rated general. And the sum summary reads, It's not just her father's sword or the sword of the knight who made it. It's her sword too. So this is basically a fic that explores how Gwen helped her father forge Excalibur. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Give those two a read or a listen. I can recommend either the fic or the pot fic. All are good. And that is finally it. it again, uh, a not-too-short episode. <laughs> we will be back in two weeks with another episode review, this time for The Poison Chalice. Ba -ba -ba! <laughs> which, well, we have already recorded, but which you should be looking forward to because Roxanne loves this episode above all else. So... <laughs> you can listen to her be excited about how much she adores this episode and until then we say goodbye this has been Melissa and I'm Momotastic and I'm Miss Snowfox bye guys bye <laughs>